And if you and I are Christians, if you and I are temples of the Holy Ghost, if the Holy Spirit of God is living in our hearts, then shouldn't joy be evident as well? Of course it should. Yet so many of us who claim to be Christians don't exhibit joy very often or very much. Why do you suppose that's the case? Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. Speak through this message. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. And just help us to focus on joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of our message this morning is, Where is your joy? Now just, what is joy? How do we define it? The dictionary defines it this way. It says, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Most everybody wants joy in their life, don't they? If you go down here on Main Street at 2 o'clock this afternoon, and you pick out 10 people, and you say, hey, would you like joy in your life? It's a 100% chance every one of them is going to say, yeah, I do. I think it's safe to say that joy is so often misunderstood, though. Because we tend to get joy and happiness, we kind of equate the two together. But they're not necessarily the same. So many times in today's world, we get those words confused. The world offers its version of joy. With movies and music. Giving you the idea that Joy is nothing more than a good feeling. Good feeling we have when things are going really well for us. When we find love or when we have success. Or when we have good health. If it feels right or if it feels good and makes you happy, the world says that's where joy is. That's what gives you joy. But what if we don't find love or if we lose it? What if our life is not marked by success, but rather failure after failure after failure? What if our health doesn't hold up? Then what? What then? Is it, is it, impo- is it, is it possible to have joy? And the answer to that question can be yes. Notice I said the answer can be Yes. It all depends on the source of your joy. A story was told of two women who were in the laundromat. They were washing their husband's clothes and mending their pants. And one lady said, you know, my, my husband has such an awful day at work every day. He comes home in the evening and he can't find anything that suits him to watch on television. We go to church on Sundays and the song leader is pitiful and, certain, and the pastor's an idiot. He never likes the sermons. 
And they're both standing there, mending pants. The other lady says, My husband's always excited when he comes home from work. Laughter always fills our home. We have such a good time together and we enjoy church together so much. He always enjoys the sermons and his heart just spills over when we sing songs. There was silence for a minute. See, one woman was patching her husband's breeches in the seat. The other one was patching his knees. It all depends on where the source of your joy is. You see, the world's version of joy is based on what happens to you. And so, if that's where your source of joy is found, then when your circumstances change, then your joy begins to vanish. If it goes from good to bad, then your joy begins to vanish. But where is true joy found? It's not in money. Jay Gould, the railroad tycoon in the mid-1800s, was a millionaire. was heavily involved in making the railways go across out west and connecting railway. He was a millionaire back then. In today's figures, he would be a billionaire based on the size of his estate at that time. And this is what Jay Gould said when he was on his deathbed. He said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. He's one of the wealthiest men in the country at the time. Real joy is not found in position or fame. Lord Beaconsfield had plenty of both of those. He served as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom two times. And this is what he said on his deathbed. Youth is a mistake. Manhood is a struggle. Old age is a regret. Is real joy found in military success, military glory? No. Alexander the Great conquered the known world at that time and it was said of him that he sat in his tent and cried because there were just no more worlds to conquer. So where is real joy found? The answer is simple. In Jesus Christ alone. That's where real joy is found. The biblical definition of joy can be summed up this way. It says, gladness that is not based on your circumstances. Peter wrote in 1 Peter Chapter 1, starting in verse 8. He says, speaking of Jesus, though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Real joy is found in Jesus Christ. John MacArthur wrote this. He said, Christian joy is not an emotion on top of an emotion. It's not a feeling on top of a feeling. It's a feeling on top of a fact. It's an emotional response to what I know to be true about my God. That's the substance of it. And he says, all of us should be in the habit of constantly expressing joyful wonder when we contemplate the unchanging eternal relationship with God that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, real joy is not a feeling, it's a focus. Real joy is not a feeling, it's a focus. Real joy is a focus on Jesus Christ and how He paid for your sins and my sins on the cross at Bloody Calvary. Real joy is a focus on His promise to forgive our sins if we'll lay them at His feet and confess them. Real joy is a focus on His promise to take care of you and me. And we sing that song. Be not dismayed, whatever betide. God will take care of you. 
Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. We sing that song. And in this verse we read in Galatians chapter 5. It lists joy there as, as one of the, as the fruit of the Spirit. Among the fruits of the Spirit. And if you and I are Christians, if you and I are temples of the Holy Ghost, if the Holy Spirit of God is living in our hearts, then shouldn't joy be evident as well? Of course it should. Yet so many of us who claim to be Christians don't exhibit joy very often or very much. Why do you suppose that's the case? It's been going on since the beginning of time. Paul wrote in, the Gal- in Galatians chapter 4 in the previous chapter, and he asked the question to the churches in Galatia there. A very penetrating question. And we need to ask ourselves that today. He says in that chapter 4, What has happened to all your joy? Do you remember when you first came to know the Lord? For some of us it's been a long time ago. Some of us not so long. You remember the joy that you had when you came to know Him? Do you have that same joy now? Where is all my joy? Where is all your joy this morning? Lack of joy in the life of a Christian can have a negative effect on the spread of the gospel. Don't you agree? It can have a negative effect on the spread of the gospel. One Bible commentator said it this way. He said, A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. And nothing in all religious history has done Christianity more harm than its connection with black clothes and long faces. Oliver Wendell Holmes was a Supreme Court Justice back in the early 1900s. He was appointed by Teddy Roosevelt. He served 30 years from 1902 to 1932. Oliver Wendell Holmes holds the distinction of being the oldest sitting Supreme Court Justice. He he was on the Supreme Court at 90 years old, 10 months and 4 days. Oldest to ever serve. His mind and his wit and his work earned him the distinction of being the greatest justice since John Marshall. And this is what Justice Holmes said about his choice of career. He said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. He would have been in the ministry, he says, if the preacher hadn't been such a stick in the mud. I believe the reason that joy is so often missing in our lives is because our focus is wrong. You remember, joy is not a feeling, it's a focus. But I believe it's because our focus is wrong is the reason joy is not as evident as it ought to be in our lives. It's because our focus is not on our Savior. The focus is on ourselves. And I believe that's why The joy is missing. Satan likes nothing more than to distract us and distract our focus and rob us of our joy. So I want to see three tools that he uses this morning to focus on us and not on Christ. Take the focus off the wrong thing. Off the right thing. The first would be discontentment. Are you easily caught up in discontentment? Are you content or are you always have a little something you don't like. Maybe things in your life didn't turn out the way you thought they would. Maybe your expectations for your marriage are not being met. 
Maybe your children are not living as you think they ought to live. Maybe you don't have the material things that you think you need that someone else has. A bigger house, a newer car, better job. Can I just tell you this morning, if that's you, Satan is wringing his hands with delight, waiting to take that those unmet, unmet expectations in your life and turn those into full-blown full blown discontentment and robbing you of joy. He's wringing his hands. He whispers in your ear, hey, your neighbor across the road got a new pickup truck and you're still driving in this old thing? And you start to listen to him. Soon you hear every rattle as you go down the road. Rattles you never heard before. You feel every bump. And you begin to think, you know, maybe I need a new pickup too. I don't like this thing. And soon, if unchecked, that discontentment over that truck bleeds into other areas of your life. And it robs you of joy. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking of being contented or discontent. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now it's interesting here that Paul talks about contentment being a secret. It's a mystery. And he says he had to learn to be content with what he had in every circumstance. And we can only do that if we keep our focus on Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then in 1 John chapter 2, John writes these words, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You see, Satan will use discontentment to rob us of joy, but the second thing he'll use is division. Division in our families, division in our church, division with our friends. Anytime there's an unresolved conflict, it can rob us of joy. The longer it's allowed to fester, the more it consumes you. And the longer it's allowed to fester, the more bitterness begins to sit in. As the more bitterness sets in, the joy vanishes. We need to make every effort to live peaceably with each other. To not have division. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12, starting in verse 18, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. But sometimes, as much as we try to resolve a conflict... Sometimes it just doesn't work. There are times when it just doesn't work. Scripture says as far as it depends on you, make peace, live in peace with everyone. 
But there are times when you feel you've done all you can do. Times you feel like you've done all you can do and the person on the other side, they're not willing to listen. They're not willing to do the things they need to do to make peace. And that's when you've got a choice to make. If you feel like you've done all that you can do to make peace, you let that strife go on. If you don't do something, it robs you of joy. So those times where in order to live at peace, you may have to agree to disagree and move on. In Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot, it's a story there of those two. They're related as an uncle and nephew. And Scripture says there was strife between the two. Their herdsmen were getting into strife with one another. In Genesis 13. But Abraham's first priority was peace. Hebrews 12 and verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Abraham said, Hey, this is not working out. We don't need this strife between us. You pick which way you're going, I'll go the other way. I'd rather have peace than strife. So that's what he did. He was willing, Abraham was willing to give up something for the sake of peace. To resolve the conflict whatever way needed to be done. Because division can rob you of joy. Unresolved conflict can rob you of joy. We've talked about how Satan can use discontentment. We've talked about how Satan can use division and unresolved conflict to rob us of joy. But then the third thing he'll use, deceit. In John chapter 8, Jesus was talking and he was referring to Satan and he says of Satan, he says when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's Jesus talking about Satan. Saying he's speaking his native tongue when he lies. Are you one who feels that you need to tell lies? Now I'm not talking about occasionally because all of us are liars. The Bible says all men are liars. But I'm talking about a lifestyle where you feel like you've got to tell some kind of untruth. I got an observation for you. If you're that way, there's a 100% chance you don't have as much joy in your life as you could have. If you'll lie about a few things, you'll lie about a lot. Becomes a habit. And God's word says he hates a lying tongue. In Psalm 5 and verse 6. He says you destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you Lord detest. And in that familiar passage in Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. And he lists them out for us. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Notice he mentions lying tongue and a person who spills lies. He lists those twice in that list. They're mentioned twice. Deceit and lies are mentioned twice. What about unconfessed sin in your life? Being deceitful. To God. Trying to cover your sin up. Being deceitful to Almighty God. If you're trying to hide your sin, you're miserable. If you try to hide it from God, you're miserable. Because you're not going to hide it from Him. 
There's no joy in tooling unless you confess it to Jesus. And lay it at his feet. David had some unconfessed sin in his life. He had the affair with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. He tried to cover it up by having her husband killed. And he thought he had it all right. Everything was going to be okay. He had it all covered up. But it was eating away at his joy. And he writes about it in Psalm 32 after the prophet had been sent to him and pointed out David's sin. David writes about it in Psalm 32. How his deceit and his unconfessed sin had robbed him of joy. Listen to Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped and as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Is there deceit in your heart and in your life this morning? If so, there isn't much joy. There's not as much joy as it could be if you'd laid at Jesus' feet. Where's your joy this morning? Is it evident in your life? Or is it being choked by discontent or division of some sort or deceit? Jesus said He came to give life and give life more abundantly. Robert Rainey said this about joy. He said, Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Is there a flag waving triumphantly over the castle of your heart this morning? Flag that says joy? Or maybe the flag's at half staff. Maybe there's some things that are causing it not to be as full as it could be. God wants us to have that fullness of joy in Him. We just need to raise that flag, lay those things at Jesus' feet and raise that flag all the way up. One last thing before I close. We've got some good friends in Meridian that we've known for 10 or 12 years. Their kids are around our kids' ages and we've gotten pretty close to them over the years. We've, we've seen them get married and we've seen him get saved and get baptized. We've seen them have children. We've seen him get diagnosed with cancer and go throughout the last two or three years taking cancer treatments. Because of the cancer that he's got and because of some of the hard living and life choices that he made early in life, he's constantly battling pain, back pain, hip pain. And I asked his wife the other day how he was doing and she said, well, he's still in pretty bad hip pain. And it's, it's pretty bad. But then later on in the evening, I saw him and I, I got to ask him the same question. How are you doing? And this is what he said. As I sat there listening to him, I felt my eyes about to leak. This is what he said. He said, well, I'm still having some pain, but I can't complain. He said, I've been through the valley. And I look around and I see a lot of people worse off than me. He said, I don't have anything to complain about. I'm thankful and blessed. And I thought as I fought back the tears, this is the joy that I'm going to preach about Sunday. 
He's got that joy. Even though all the problems he's got in his own life, he still has that joy that comes from within. And it convicted me. I thought, wow. I get in a foul mood if my coffee gets cold before I get through drinking the cup. And here's a man with cancer whose body is riddled with aches and pains. And he says, I'm thankful and blessed. I don't have any complaints. And there's a joy in his heart that can only be found in Jesus Christ. On the night Jesus was born in Bethlehem, an angel appeared to the shepherds in the field, watching over their flocks by night. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. A-L-L all, that includes us. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Where is your joy this morning? Is the flag of joy raised high over the castle of your heart? Let's pray. Father, as we sang earlier, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And we're so grateful for your love and for your care for us. Father, if there's anything in our lives that is choking and stifling joy, the joy that we can have in you, Father, help us to see that. As the prophet came to David and pointed out his sin. Father, may the Holy Spirit pierce our hearts this morning and point out things in our life that need to be changed so that we can experience that fullness of joy that you promise. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.